Now, I'm glad that all of you are here, and I rejoice that uh, you've had a wonderful Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and I know that there are children with us as well. And if I continue talking and their listening has stopped, we do have a parent baby room, and you could uh, avail yourself to that. But this is a shorter message. It's a message that the Lord put upon my heart, and I want to share it uh, from, uh, I believe, his heart through my heart to your heart. And it comes from the passage that we're all familiar with during the Christmas season in Isaiah, in chapter 9, in verse 6. This is a prophetic word that comes from the prophet Isaiah. He's referred to by scholars as the 8th century prophet, because that's when he ministered in the 700s B.C. And when he ministered, he was a very eloquent speaker, very skilled in his delivery. But more important than that, and giving him the title of a great statesman, he had an incredible content because it was God's word, his message to his people, and applicable to all of us now, and more specifically, this prophetic word that he had given about Jesus, found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What an incredible array of titles that are bestowed upon Jesus, identifying not only who he is, but what he can do in your life and in my life. Now, I felt in my heart to zero in on one particular title that's given to Jesus in this, as Wonderful Counselor wonderful counselor. Now, I know many scholars would say that there are actually two different nouns, and that's correct. You can't support this as saying wonderful is being used in the Hebrew context as an adjective. It is a noun. So you could say, as many translations do it, Jesus, the Christ, is wonderful. He's the counselor. He's the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. But there's an equal amount of scholars, and I'm part of that group, that believe that really the two are married together. They merge together, these two, wonderful counselor, supported not so much by grammar, but by experience and the reality of the context of what is being declared here in description of Jesus. It's not an argument. It's not a debate. I think it's just a beautiful way of understanding that even though both of these titles are unique they're united. Though distinct, they're not separate. And so when we say Jesus the Lord is our wonderful counselor, we can apply that in a very practical way in our life because wonderful is a beautiful description of the type of counsel that he wants to deposit into your heart and to mine. Let me ask you a question. Right now, through many of the decisions that you're navigating through, big or small, major or minor, the advice, the counsel, the direction, the guidance, the leading that you need. Don't you want the ultimate source to be from God, from what he wants to place into you? He's the one that we ultimately need to go to. I know that we can secure counsel from others, and I would never minimize that. I appreciate those who have spoken into my life, those who have mentored me, I've gone to them for advice and counsel and direction and guidance, and I applaud that because the Bible actually instructs us to do that. 
You might go to your parent or to maybe a pastor or to a dear friend, a colleague, a work companion, and you might secure some wonderful, excellent guidance and direction from them. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. For some of you, maybe there's been a season or a stage or a chapter in your life where you needed to seek out professional help. Maybe you've needed to go to a guidance counselor, to a therapist, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist, or a sociologist, or those who study human behavior and they want to help or assist you. I've got many friends that have uh, gotten degrees in those areas, and they're godly, they're Christian, and they try to make the foundation always biblical as they, as they minister therapy to someone who's navigating through some challenging times emotionally and mentally. So I would never negate the value of that. However... We've got to transcend and supersede beyond that because we have someone that we can call our wonderful counselor. You see, sometimes counsel or direction or guidance or advice can uh, get a little slippery, and you got to be careful. you got to make sure that it's coming from Holy Scripture and it's God's direction and not just human logic or reasoning. Because counsel that can be given to us sometimes, especially when you're trying to figure out what should I do, what should I do about my health or my finances, my marriage, this friendship, my relationship, my education, my career, my future, how do I handle this whole situation with COVID and the government and the vaccine? How do I, how do I make a decision on very big areas? Should I stay here? Should I move? There's just a plethora of decisions that are before us. And someone might give us counsel, advice, or direction that can be a little murky, a little compromised. It could be diluted, even polluted. You have to be careful. Sometimes someone can counsel you, and it can be rather manipulative to control or to dominate, to negate your will, only to accentuate theirs. Now, I was, the other day, I know many of you know that a habit of mine is when I go in my quiet time, sometimes, yes, I'll sit at the table or go in my backyard and talk with the Lord, or many times I just love going into the woods or to a forest, but I also will frequent various cemeteries, not at night, but during the day, because uh, it's a nice environment. No one bothers you. No one's talking. No one disturbs you, and it's peaceful, and it allows me to become acutely aware of the brevity of life. It just does. It's very therapeutic to me because it, it kind of shapes my perspective. Things that I'm really worried about, I think, well, how many of you, of you here, you know, were, were worried and concerned about the affairs of life? Now it's all over. And you see that little dash between the two dates, and it just, you just realize, wow, life is not as long as we all think it's going to be. It doesn't cause me to get morbid. It just it allows me to see the brevity of life, and it accentuates the eternal perspective and just elevates me to a better place. That's just the way it's been for me. And so when I walk through the cemetery, I communicate with God, and I just talk with him. And though I'm walking among the dead, I'm hearing the living, the heart of the Father. But this one particular day, I was out there really early, and it was actually near, it was in Middle Island, a cemetery there, a small one. And adjacent to it is a golf course. Actually, just, there's just simply a fence that separates you, the cemetery, from the golf course. So I was out there, and I'm not in my suit or tie. My usual attire is I wear a big coat with a big hood over me. So, you know, it, I could stand out in a unique way in a cemetery with that attire. So I, I was standing there, and I noticed two elderly gentlemen. They were coming on the tee that was right near the cemetery, and I thought... 
you know, I'm going to give them a little counsel and advice. So I moved near the fence, and you have to realize, again, what I look like with the hood and alone in the cemetery. And these two elderly gentlemen, they were probably well into their 80s. They had gotten out, moved very slowly, and got up on the tee. It was a par three, so it was a short one. And I just said, gentlemen! They looked over, and I, I could see, uh-oh, I think they're a little nervous. How you doing today? They just didn't respond. I said, listen, have you gone to church recently? And one of the guys, I could hear the nervousness in his voice. He said, uh, yeah, the, the other night. I said, yes, it's very important that you go to church because that's a great environment for you to hear from God because you need to be prepared for one day when you end up over here. And I was thinking, wow, was I getting dramatic or what? But I just felt the flow. They didn't say a word after that. And I just st stood there. The first guy got up and he teed off and whoosh, he, his ball went right into the tree. I knew I threw his game. And he hit, whoosh, hit it again. Whoosh, he had about two or three mulligans. It was like, yeah, I think I shook them up a little bit. They probably wonder who in the world that was. Now, maybe that counsel was a little manipulative, you know, before you end up over here. I'm glad that our Lord doesn't manipulate us with his counsel and his guidance into our life. When the scripture speaks about wonderful, what comes to your mind? What's the workable definition that would maybe just surface? Wonderful, that which is pleasant or delightful or likable. What comes to your mind? Now, none of those are wrong, but it's not catching what the Bible is saying in this particular passage. When it says wonderful, the Hebrew word is pregnant with tremendous meaning that's much higher than just pleasant or delightful. It means it's uncommon. The counsel he's about to give to you is uncommon. It may be uncharacteristic of what our society would tell us to do. It's transcendent, it, it's supreme, it's higher. That's the biblical definition of the word wonderful in the Hebrew Old Testament. So when we think of that, we think, Lord, the counsel that you're about to give me, if it's described according to the context of the Bible and using the biblical language of Hebrew, it means that what you're about to say to me is uncommon. It may be transcendent to how I think this should be dealt with. It is supreme, and it's way higher. It, it's linked, really, to the echoing statement of Isaiah in Isaiah 55 in verse 9, when he'll say it this way. He'll say, the Lord's thoughts are higher than yours. His ways are higher than your ways. A higher way. It's a highway that's maybe different than your way or mine. You know that. We consider that here even at the Christmas season. Here, the first century, as recorded in the New Testament, it was filled with, intoxicated with, struggles and confusion and perplexity. There was tremendous tyranny by the Romans over Israel and over all of the land. There was darkness and there was deception. Religiosity had gone askew. It was just filled with superficiality and everything was artificial in that day. 
The problems were big and they were pulsating, complex. So God then sends a solution. But what is it? Who is it? A little baby. If you think of that, here's the big problems of the day. This complex issue. And God provides his wonderful solution. This profound wisdom that transcends, supersedes how we think it should be dealt with. You send a baby as the solution for all the complication and tyranny and darkness that's present? No, we know the baby grows up to be the savior of the world, but the immediate solution just seemed not like the one we would have selected. Maybe you are walking through, navigating through a very difficult season in your life, and you're wondering how God is going to handle it, and it just seems way too simple, some of the solutions that he's giving to you or offering to you or putting on the table, and you think, how do you marry that to this complicated situation in my marriage with my finances, my job, this mental torment that I'm contending with, this addiction in my life? How is that the solution? You see, it's wonderful in that it's not pleasant. It just is way higher than what you or I may think is the logical solution, remedy. You know, think of the profound wisdom that Christ communicated while he walked on the earth. He told us, basically, you want to go up? you have to go down. You want to increase? You have to decrease. You want to find your life? You have to lose it. You want to live? You have to die to yourself. You want to really see? Close your eyes in prayer. Do you want to be absolutely free? You got to come under my lordship. When I totally own you, you'll be totally free. Talk about a paradox. His profound wisdom goes far beyond what we might think or understand. You want to receive? You need to give. You want to be forgiven? Forgive. What might the Lord and his wonderful counsel to you be giving? But it doesn't end there because... It doesn't just say wonderful. He is the counselor. Now, what comes to mind when you think of counselor? Someone who's about to give you some advice, their opinion, through their skill or their profession or their own experience, but they're about to give you that opinion, that advice, and then it's contingent on if you want to receive it or not. Not so contextually here. No. No, that's not the definition of counselor in the context, syntax, and the language of the Hebrew here in Isaiah. Here it's basically saying a king is about to issue his authoritative input into your life. So you can't handle it as mere advice for you to evaluate and consider and think about and maybe you'll implement it and approach it like a mere opinion. No, he's the wonderful counselor. His profound 
wisdom is yoked to, joined with, married to who he is, and as counselor, he is king. And so his advice really doesn't come as mere advice. It comes with authority. His counsel really doesn't come as mere counsel. It comes as a command. But realize 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, the commands of God are not burdensome. They don't come to oppress you or crush you or weigh you down. They actually come to undergird you, support you, and become the bedrock upon which you can stand and have great stability. But you have to understand, as our counselor, he's our commander. His direction isn't just mere direction, it's a dictate. His message is more than a message, it's a mandate. His leading is more than just leading you, it's an invitation for his lordship to be over you. That's what's present in the title, counselor. You are the king over my life. I want your authority, your commands, your dictates, your mandates, your lordship over me. You're the wonderful counselor. But the beauty is that as counselor and as king and giving that input, he will also give an impartation of strength to be able to do it. You know, for me and Diane, we navigated through a very, very intense decision. All of you are aware of our final decision. But that didn't go with meeting with personal friends or even colleagues or going to someone professional. That was meeting with the wonderful counselor and allowing his voice to wrap, be wrapped around us. When we received his clear direction, Realizing now this wasn't just direction, it was a dictate, it was a mandate, it was a command, not just advice or an opinion that I could drop on the ground, but I had to embrace it. The beauty is he also gave the impartation of strength to carry it out. In your life, whatever it is that you maybe are going through, you come to him and say, you're my wonderful counselor. It doesn't minimize those that I will come to and receive wonderful input from, a parent or your spouse or a friend or a teacher or a pastor or a colleague or professionally, I don't minimize any of that. But ultimately, come into the chambers of prayer. Come and hear his voice. Because if there's anything that I sense so strong in this message, it was, Gary, let them know I want so much to guide them and lead them and direct them with every decision that they're navigating through in their life. God knows the rough decisions that you're facing. He knows the things that are creating a turmoil on the inside. You're not sure where to land. And there's just a plethora of input and advice and counsel from the world. And it's created this milieu of confusion and perplexity. He knows that. That's why he, he gives this promise in Psalm 32, 8. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will direct you in the way that you should go with my eye upon you. It's his promise. And you think of it in the context of Christmas? Consider John chapter 1 and verse 14 when it says, His word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we know that's the incarnation. That's Jesus being wrapped in humanity. 
his humanity and his deity merging together, but it's also really saying something about his word, his counsel, his profound wisdom. It comes in the flesh. It wants to come near you. God's not evasive. He's not running away. He's not going to try to trick you. No, if you want it with your whole heart, if you say, God, I give you my eye, I yield my ear, I open my heart, I extend my hand ready to receive, and my feet will be willing to obey, he will give you his guidance, counsel, direction. If you say, I want it, Lord, I'm ready to receive it. You're my commander. I yield to you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Concrete, tangible, touchable, approachable. Getting that close to your ear so you could hear his word, his wisdom, his direction to your life. Amen? I give that to you from my whole heart.